episode of Setting the Tone, and in our retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 10, Episode 7, which is titled Death and Taxes. The episode aired on November 13th, 2003. Lauren was going that week 20 years ago. Uh, well, pretty slow news week, so we'll borrow something from next week. Uh, 16-year-old rookie footballer Lionel Messi makes his debut as part of the now-defunct FC Barcelona C-Team, the youth developmental team affiliated with FC Barcelona. Messi, now widely considered to be one of the greatest soccer players of all time, currently plays in the U.S. for Major League Soccer Team Inter-Miami, as well as for the Argentinian national team on the World Cup circuit. Ah, in movies that Lauren enjoys news, both Elf and Love Actually make their debut this week, but neither are strong enough to dethrone the Matrix Revolutions from the top box office spot. It's like my whole relationship with Lizzie in a nutshell. And Baby Boy by Beyonce featuring Sean Paul is still your number one song. Daniel, what else was on? The, the weird fucking synergy to have this episode be coming out the same week as right it. oh my god <laughs> like, okay i didn't even put that uh, together fuck like, oh oh right god. like wh- uh, what well maybe the north pole is heaven i was like are you because like i we did like our christmas decorating and stuff last week three weeks ago as you're listening to this and uh, we did like a Christmas movie marathon and we watched like Elf and Home Alone and Christmas Vacation and all this other stuff. And like, I was like, man, this this is so weird. Like we were just talking about this on ER, like on the on STT. Like I was like, this this is the same time that he's on ER. Like this is so fucking weird. I didn't realize, though, that it was to the week that they, <laughs> that they kill him off in the show. And then he appears as, you know. There you go. Just... He dies on a Thursday night, and he w- and he wakes up on Friday as bleak, <laughs> bleak. That's gonna make uh, it real hard to watch Elf this season for me. Here we go. Well, Elf's already a, not a very good movie anyway. You so. shut your whore oh, mouth. I was shocked when I watched a how well it holds up. It's a fantastic movie, and b um, how many fucking tiktok sounds come from that movie yeah (laughs) oh yeah there's so much like every five seconds it feels like in that movie i was hearing another tiktok sound uh what else is on at 8 p.m friends with the episode the one with the home study at 8 30 friends with a rerun at nine will and grace with nice in white satin i assume that's supposed to be knights in white satin but they are being coy about it you know because it's a sitcom title uh and at 9 30 scrubs with my advice to you this week's episode had 20.6 million viewers tuning in directed by felix enriquez alcala doing his 11th out of 12 his penultimate episode as a uh, an episode director uh, last time we saw him was season nine's Walk Like a Man and written by Dee Johnson uh, doing her 13th out of 19 uh, and previous one of hers from this season was Shifts Happen and no Carter and no Weaver this week. Weaver joining Carter on the bench. Yes. Uh, maybe you need to be on the bench this week because uh, we had a big old trigger warning this this time around for not only talk of sexual assault, but. Ah, uh, sadly, a character's very a na- graphic suicide. Uh, ver- yes, uh, very blatant. A national treasures suicide. Yeah, I'm. I keep thinking it's Bob Hope. I yeah, keep. So, I keep mixing them up. So, with that being said, uh, you're just, guys, you're just making it really easy for me to make the meme when we get to this arc. 
on the actual timeline because I'm just going to do pictures of Bob Hope and Bob Newhart and have Lizzie be like, it's the same picture. <laughs> uh, so with all that being said, guys, as always with, tr- with content warning episodes like this, we love you. We'll see you next week. Uh, please, please don't. We'll see you next week for an equally upsetting episode. But yeah. at least it's not this one. Um, yeah. The, there's two very different energies going yeah. on between those two. So yeah, just. Fiery wait. helicopters falling on a man and a man doing something to himself. Either way, we won't take it personally. We love you. Take care of yourselves. Everybody else, let's carry on. Anyway. So yeah, with that out of the way, our previous one was brought to us by Romano. Oh, only got a couple of those left. Um. Susan uh, is laying in bed listening while Chuck gives her her coffee and her new- and the newspaper, and he's got ugly little slippers on. He's just in his box. <laughs> it's just just Donald Logue being just living Be his best Logue. life. Yep. Yeah, uh, he gets called to go see her accountant because she's getting audited. Wonderful. They ever had that happen? Knock on knock on wood. That that was me knocking on wood. That never because I'm not sure I do my taxes right every year. So whoops. <laughs> Put it on record. Yeah. I'm 90, 99% sure, but that 1% but, haunts me. But you do them. I do them. Yes. The it's usually, it's usually the, the not doing them that really gets you in hot water. Yeah. Uh, Susan seems like the kind of person who just wouldn't do her taxes or just forget until like the next, until like Christmas I, time. I oh, disagree. I, yeah. I can I see it. Hardcore type A people, like I'm talking particularly people in the medical field, they they go in they fit into two baskets. They are either the people who pre like pay their taxes and like have done it like a year in advance, or they're people like probably Susan and like let's be honest, my wife before we before we got together, uh, who are like, what are taxes? I don't have have money, spend money. How what January do? January thirty first? The minute I get all my forms, I go mm-hmm. and fill that fucker out. I get Absolutely. it done. Oh, yeah. I want that money back as soon as I can if I'm if oh, I'm due any back. What's that like? Yeah, really. Uh, it's called being poor and getting yeah, I know. for a lot more exemptions. Yeah, I than know. you than you do. So I know. Me, 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 me. Carry on. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> Chuck asks if she, uh, it's like has like, hey, let's just have some kids. You can get a tax write off. It'll be fun. And she's like, what are the odds we're gonna find someone better? I love it's that. It's a great, great Such way good to try to get. A beautiful young woman to great sell father your children to to father your, your children <laughs> to mother your to be the mother of your children. Great uh, and with that, uh, this this is going to be the theme for the episode: is Romano giving everyone shit all the time? They are trying to send him out on a real high note here. Uh, as he's at admit, he accidentally touches Chen's ass with the robotic arm. Accidentally, and, well, accidentally, and uh, he yells at Sam to get Alex out of the ER and get him a babysitter. Luca greets Alex and Sam, and Sam kind of tells him to fuck off. She's like, "Hey, nope, don't talk to my kid. Like, you're you're a man. This is a child. Leave him alone. This is weird." Uh, and well, then Luca we is a man child, so I, <laughs> well played. I really, and then they, <laughs> I really. Uh, the more I watch this episode, like the, the deeper into this episode I got, the more, and this might be just a coping mechanism as I'm trying to avoid the Luca and Sam pairing. Uh, but I really like the alternate reality of. Luca and Sam having a purely adversarial relationship that they yes. hate each Ooh. other, but that he just really wants to be friends with Alex. <laughs> like he just really That's... wants a, a weird little buddy and like <laughs> a sidekick. <laughs> yeah. Like that. I, I like that as a, that seems like a much more fun detour than what we're about to do. 
Oh, and then we get our first uh, patients of the episode, a low-speed MVA. There was a family in an accident. Everybody seems pretty okay. Uh, there's an important thing to note here. The, ten, the like, 10-month-old baby seems totally fine. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah. with that going on, Daniel? Uh, out of this family here, the only one that was really of semi-notable note uh, was the uh, who we presume is the dad at this point, but we will learn is the boyfriend. Uh uh, actor Travis Wester, who appears in stuff like Eurotrip, Justified, and Supernatural, and is in some fucking thing that I can't figure out from looking at his IMDb what it is I know him from. He's got a real, like, mm, fucking face. Like, I'm just like, I know I've seen this guy in something, but it wasn't, like, immediately jumping out to me on his IMDb. So, I don't know. Maybe you guys can tell me. Maybe maybe somebody out there listening knows what I've seen this fucker in. Yeah, I'm looking at his fucking face again. Hold on. Um... I'll finish my thing and then yell it in like three hours when I've figured it out. Uh, but from there, Romano asks Abby for help with a Foley and then gives gives her a hard time that, oh, no, I'm sorry, you're playing doctor right now. I know you can't do it. Nyeh. And uh, Susan goes up to Romano, tells him that she's going to be out for lunch. Uh, Romano's hand touches Sam's ass and she rips it off and uh, hands it to Susan after she walks away and... Romano's like, give me my hand back. And Susan, to his fucking face, to her boss, goes, you can have it back at the end of the day if you learn to behave. Mark me and down. with that... Mark me down as scared and horny. <laughs> uh, I hate that in four years we've we've learned what your kinks are, Daniel, and it's a little upsetting. Uh, but with that all being said, inappropriate segue, that we are in with bangs. <laughs> See, uh, I can Susan. do it too come back from the intro that susan's working on ben uh he's very he very sweetly tells her that her soap is working for her um and he says he's in love with the doggo no oh that just made me sad oh what part part of this episode doesn't make you sad though oh no Look, there's a lot of stuff going, personal stuff going on behind the scenes that just is just gonna make me sad at the smallest little thing. So, uh, she says if his levels are, if his digital levels are within normal range, he doesn't have to keep coming. So, and he seems pretty sad about that. I uh, asked her if she wants to come over for dinner. He says he make a, makes a mean tri tip and he'll throw in a bottle of wine to to seal the deal. Oh, that sounds so good. Oh my god. Ugh. Uh, then uh, we go over and check in with Sam, who apologizes for how she reacted to Romano earlier, which, no apology necessary, let's be honest. Uh, and we see Morris is back. Uh, Pratt yells at him for coming back. Uh, and then Pratt yells at him again because he reeks of weed and ordered pizza at 10 a.m., which he tries to pawn off on being his roommate who uh, smokes weed and that it just gets into all of his clothes. Uh, but that it, it is a nice little, like, sprinkle of a breadcrumb uh, for next episode. Uh blends in very well uh we then go back and check on the family in the trauma room from the mva boyfriend's being a dick still don't know what i've seen him in uh and uh luca yes lauren it sounds like uh, so sleuthing he, has turned up something so no it hasn't he definitely has a fucking face that looks just like another actor that we all have seen in things but i can't think of who that guy is but it's not this dude i know i have seen him in something i just cannot for the life of me figure out what it is uh but uh yeah boyfriend's being a dick luca gets on abby about the whole unnecessary tests thing this will come back to haunt him later in the episode uh but for now we go over and check on our next patient jimmy a uh, prisoner who was shanked with a fork 
which sounds like just I've I've had a bad Tuesday, but that sounds like a much worse Tuesday. I mean, he was also stabbed with a normal blade, but they mentioned a fork. It was a so, shank. It was a yeah, shit. It was a it was a yeah, yeah sh- fashioned from a fork, I believe, uh, which is just awful. Uh, we learned he's in Juliet for battery and B and E. Uh, and Jimmy here is uh, one of a couple of Oh Hey It's That Guys this episode, uh, played by uh, actor Efren Ramirez, who appears in stuff like Mad Families, Crank, High Voltage, and, of course, Pedro in Napoleon Dynamite. Big whiplash w- between the two characters. Here. I was <laughs> yeah. so upset when I made that connection. I was like, oh, oh, God. Yeah, it's a, it is a, quite the departure from Pedro. Let, let's uh, Let's start there. Uh, Sam, uh, butts in on Chen. Chen is doing the exam here, uh, and she, uh, butts in to tell Chen that she has a call from the Chinese embassy, which is cryptic. Uh, Sam is surprised to see, uh, Ben is still there. And, uh, is this where we get the weird camera effect? Where, yeah, this is the uh, one of yeah. the first spots, yeah, where yeah. it shows the degeneration. Right, so they, they do this thing where they, they basically, like, put a blind spot on the camera lens and turn, you do a little POV shot. Uh, so I assume they're like putting some, you know, either a special lens on it or they're doing like some Vaseline on the lens or something. Um, but it is very, it's very effective. It gets the point across because you can see kind of where his face blindness comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he replies blind, getting blinder every day. Uh, we find out Susan's audit has been pushed. Romano still doesn't have his hand back. She still won't tell him where it is. Uh, and then we see Alex in the lounge looking at medical books when Susan walks in and she's fuddle, fuddling around with stuff in her locker and he just asks her point blank, are you menstruating? I think because she gets like a tampon out or something like she that. Gets, yeah, so. she gets something out of her locker. I couldn't quite see exactly what it was, but All right. tampon's pro- probably safe. Pen is, pen is clicked. Uh, ten, seven. Alex. Is he, <laughs> is he just going to get a point for every yep. episode he's in? Like. I'm making note. I am the list is the list is in progress. Yeah. No, it's just every he just he is the sticky note. It's the it's the uh the Alex 1.0 memorial shitty kids list. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh turns out Chen's parents were in a car accident and apparently there are just no trauma centers in all of China. Which which is so like hand wavy for even even 20 years ago. It's like okay, we don't need to pretend like she's going to like, you know, Mongolia and China. Like there's <laughs> Yeah. Like it's still uh, a regular country. Yeah, like there's there's so many there's so many major cities that were huge even in even twenty years ago. So anyway, uh, that complete dumb fuckery aside, uh Pratt runs out to check on her and starts snowing on 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 them as they hug. I'm so mad after this scene. Like I'm so mad that there's not more of Pratt and Chen as a thing. Like why didn't you invest more into that storyline? And maybe it's because Ming-Na Wen maybe has one foot out the door at this point. Uh but like come on. Like just just I mean there's still some do it. stuff to it cuz I remember but it, I know but not, least, I not, know one major thing that hasn't that Yeah, hasn't the car thing. Yet, but but as as Aaron mentioned in reference to that, like that's much more of them as friends, not romantic partners by that point. Like they but are But there is still more Pratt and Chen. No, there is. I'm just saying like I I think this has more potential than they gave it credit for. Like I think this has a a much much more meat on that bone than they let cuz really what did we get out of Pratt and Chen? Maybe like three four episodes of them as a thing and then they kind of just got bored with it and 
jettisoned it. I would have much rather seen them like really tease that out over like a, at least a season or two. Like, give me just a little something. Like, you know, we spent a whole goddamn season on Roxanne. Like, give me, give me just a little bit more of Pratt and Chen here. Ah, uh, and then Romano continues to give everybody shit. I wanted to get notes on all of it, but you guys, we would have been here for twenty pages if I had gotten notes of all the yeah. shitty things <laughs> Romano just... says this episode. They're just trying to cram it out right. as much as possible before he's gone. Just for the Romano stuff alone, this episode should be called "Smoke 'Em If You Got 'Em," because like they they know that this is the end, and so like they are just like cramming all their best stuff in before he's gone. I'm not thrilled about it. Um, but then we meet Franny Myers. Uh, she came in because of chest pain and dizziness. And she's freaking out because she needs to go pick up her daughter from preschool. And she mentions that she has three kids and she works. And Daniel? Yes. Uh, Franny, arguably the most, oh, hey, it's that guy in this episode. Uh, Betsy Brandt, uh, who, of course, appears in stuff like Magic Mike. Uh, the valet and uh, doesn't know what a, doesn't know the difference between a rock and a mineral. Uh, <laughs> Minerals, Marie, on Breaking Bad, where she plays. <laughs> people always like the 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 Breaking Bad fandom is no exception to the rule of having a really toxic subset of it that is really really hard on female characters that don't deserve it. Looking at you, Skyler White, um, but they're like always. Their anger is really misguided because they really should be hating Marie way more than they hate. <laughs> Marie sucks way more than Skylar does in that show, uh, and I I maintain that she's actually the real evil in that show, not not Skylar White. I mean, yeah, if you're gonna say any female character is, she's definitely up. There. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously the meth kingpin. He's the he's the real bad guy. But like, if we're just going purely off of which female character sucks the most on that show, my vote is for Marie. Yeah, I'm not. Anyway, uh, Susan goes to check on Abby. And uh, how, you know, med school's going and stuff. Just girl talks, seeing how she's doing. And she's like, oh, you know, Abby's like, oh, do you want to go out later or study or something? She asks if they can go over something later. And she's like, no, I've got, I've got dinner. Someone older. So she's not going to be able to make it. She has plans to go over to Ben's. And, uh, she, (laughs) and it's like, oh, with Chuck? And she goes, no, I might be seeing, uh, less of him. Like, trouble is brewing. Don't don't you hurt him. He's he's precious cargo. Don't don't you hurt Donald Oak. It's okay. No, I mean, tell that to the writers in next episode. It's about to be very not okay here. So just that's why I'm kind of like just dodging stuff. Uh, Well, Ben's painting his miniatures at home, and we get another excellent shot of of his point of view through his eye through what's left of his eyesight uh through a ma- through the magnifying glass and then there's a miniature falling over and like you just get like bob newhart's just giant eye mm-hmm. as he's like off to the side just trying to have see any what he's doing. peripheral vision yeah um alex is watching people in the er asking about how a guy got hurt and of course and luca instead of just telling him to go away luca actually tells him what how he got hurt, and then tells him to go back to the lounge. Like, Dick. just call security on this kid. Just, like, just lock him up straight to jail. Yeah, straight to jail. Straight no to trials. jail. Straight to jail. 50, uh, Fifty years jail, no trials. Uh, and then we see Corday having some words with Luca uh, that he uh, didn't get a CBC on a uh, likely appendicitis patient. Uh, and he lies, straight up lies, like no, not even just like, 
oh, you could say he fudged a thing. No, he just like straight up lies and tells her uh, the amount she wants to hear for the test that she's looking for and that he forgot to put it on the chart. Uh, my dude. Uh, we then go back to the admin desk. We see Romano sending Sam and Gallant off on a uh, transpo run. Uh, more on that in a bit. And then we see Mrs. Myers wanting to leave AMA. Uh, and she's having a huge anxiety attack. And when she goes to get up off the gurney, falls right over with a very weak pulse. Uh, so she's also, I, we, we didn't really mention too, she also has like kind of a little bit of the uh, season eight Susan haircut going on like it is a very it works better for her but it works a little better for her but it is very of the early 2000s like it is definitely of that same variety uh neil is working on the no here we go here we go with the sexual assault uh neil is working on the the kid is working on pedro jimmy right (laughs) jimmy yes i think jimmy jimmy Uh, they go to get him from a gurney to a wheelchair, and there is a a, a large blood stain uh, coming from the bottom of him, from his uh, gluteal area, uh, and just all going down, all going down the gurney and down his gown. And Pratt asks him directly if he was raped, and tells him to let the do let them do the exam, and he'll get an extra day, and he'll he'll make sure he gets an extra day away from prison. Which, I want to say here, yeah, they make some real shitty, like, of the times comments about it outside of this room, but I appreciated here that Pratt asks him directly. He doesn't use any euphemisms, anything like that. He's like, were you raped? Yeah. Like, that is so uncommon, I feel like. Yeah, if you get things like... um. Law and Order SVU and things like that mm-hmm. where you expect it to be said, sure, on the, like, darker shows, but for just for just a normal show to say that, like, I, I was like, oh, shit. Like, thank you for saying it directly. Yeah, something yeah, just... in the early aughts treating uh, prison sexual assault as not a punchline yeah. is very surprising. Like, yeah, you get a couple, you get a couple eyebrow-raising comments from other people about it, but in the moment, it's treated like what it should be, which was abuse right. and a tragic thing. And even when they do make those comments, it is usually portrayed as like the dick thing. The di- right, they're wrong for saying. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm especially thinking of the thing Morris says towards the end of the episode, mm-hmm. uh, which is like. It's one of those things where it's like I have to remind myself it's early Archie. It's early Archie. Like it's gonna get better. But like, <laughs> it, it's. Um, it's it's a refreshing kind of perspective that you know you you get it portrayed mostly seriously straightforward and then when they do make jokes about it it's portrayed as being wrong. Yeah, you're the asshole. Yeah. So uh, points for that. Yep. Uh and then we learn nobody can find Alex aka Sam's weird little kid which I appreciated. <laughs> That's a great descriptor. Uh, Franny's still freaking out. Uh, meds and other normal methods haven't corrected her heart rate so far. They're going to keep trying. Um, Abby says Susan never compliments her work like she did with Neela just then, which I appreciate. And Susan's like, but I grace you with my time. <laughs> it's like, it's our friendship. Uh, we, oh God. we see Ben vacuuming the house when the puppy is barking at him and playing, like chasing the vacuum and... Ben's laughing and, like, 
kind of like shoo shoo and everything and it's it's still very cute and sweet in this moment um and then we go, also that dog is just the cutest thing ever i'm mm-hmm. just just precious little baby but uh abby asks luca what the or sorry not abby let me try that again Alex asks Luca what the weirdest thing that... he's removed from someone is. Like, oh, is it a tapeworm? What was it? If it, if it were if it were Abby, Abby. That, if it were Abby, that would be some uh, particularly spicy pillow talk. I I had it mixed up with the next line of notes, and my brain didn't work. Uh, Luca's like, go back to the lounge. Oh my god, dude, I'm not gonna tell you. Like, get out of here. Uh, and then the Appy patient, whose name I got way down at the bottom of the notes, but. Uh, the Appy patient is eating his second tray of food, uh, and Luca's like, if he's eating, he can be discharged. And Coop's like, oh, hey, look, Coop's still here. Uh, what about the CT that Corday wanted? And Luca's like, no, he's fine. The guy has an appetite. Like, he's looking okay. His pain's mostly subsided. He'll probably be fine. Discharge him, tell him to come back if he's vomiting, whatever. Mr. Persky. There we go. The name was right below it. Of course it was. So Luca's like, nah, fuck him. Get him, get him out. Get him out. We don't. We we don't got room. Don't do tests. Go home. Straight to jail. Mm. Mm. And Mr. Persky here is played by actor. I'm gonna assume this is Don. It's spelled like yeah. J- it's spelled like John, but with an with a D instead of a J. Uh, Don Norwood, who appears in stuff like Bruce Almighty, Hell on Wheels, and The Sinner. And then we see Alex continuing to try and follow Luca like a little fucking creep. Did anyone else get weird? Um, Iron Man three vibes from this. Like he reminded yes. me. He reminded me so much of that little kid from Iron Man three. Also, I'm just mostly like, does anybody else smell toast? Because Daniel just made a uh, MCU reference. It's one of the last ones I remember seeing. Like I, that was, it's because I it's because I built the Iron Man Infinity Gauntlet. Maybe that's what. It Either is. way, it's it's a great Christmas movie. Don't even remember. I, like I will take you at your word <laughs> because I do not remember anything from that movie other than this kid. That's fine. Uh, Pratt asks for a rape kit for a male patient. And of course, Alex is making the shitty kids list. Can I just write Alex, 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 Yeah, that's it. That's the whole list. That's fine. Uh, And he's like, a guy can get raped? Which, I mean, I understand not knowing that. But like from from a grown-up perspective, it's like, dude, time and place. (laughs) Fucking seriously. Uh, He asks Romano to do the rape kit. Uh, Romano says, yeah, I'll sign off on it, but you can do it. Pratt pushes back that oh no you're if you're if you're gonna be bitching about to me about processes i can't do it an attending has to do all rape kits I i was a little confused by this part as i was watching it like why is he so hesitant to do it is it the is it the arm is it just latent homophobia is it like what which part of this is egging him out so much that he doesn't want to do this rape exam i think it's probably Honestly, the latter. I think it's just he's he's way out of his depth, even by his standards. It is um, true, yeah. He's not really an ER doc by trade. Between that, the homophobia, um, probably with the arm being the situation that it is, it's probably also harder for him to like pro- do it in a way that would be comfortable for not comfortable for everyone, but would would go smoothly there's no good word for this but um yeah that it, it wouldn't be the most efficient way to do it so i think that's part of it and part of it is he's just like i just don't want to fucking do this um yeah. and i think on the flip side pratt's like no because you told me earlier this episode that you have a file on me that you're waiting to get me fired why would i take your word that you're not then gonna go use this against me 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, just, I don't know the, the motivations I've thought were, could have been made clearer. Um, but yeah, it was just gave me some pause as I was watching it. Another thing that gives me pause is we go to the ne- the next scene of uh, Sam and Gallant uh, arriving at this what is vaguely termed as a community hospital for a twelve year old with leukemia who's now septic. They when they go to her curtain they find her passed out and septic. Uh, I also want to point out they say this is like the east side or something. Okay, there is no there is no fucking east side of Chicago. That's Michigan. Right? Nope, there is. God damn it, Lizzie. There are the there are technically two e- two things you can call the east side uh what's it i think it's i forget what the i think it's what you can i forget what the actual thing is but it's like that pro, that part near where you where you worked like that's just outside the loop but it like has a bunch of sh- bunch of huge residential oh, buildings oh like river east or whatever yeah but like south of there point is this ain't it chief and yeah. there's also like on the far south sa- far south side like 155th street i think or something okay like but that. my my interpretation was they were just saying east side like go due east yeah like i well, thought it was just lazy geography and they were just like yeah my interpretation so as we get into the, the actual scene like they, they find out she's septic obviously she's unstable they're trying to stabilize her to get her transported Gallant is advocating that they just scoop and run because, like, it's going to be quicker to get her to county where mm-hmm. they have because they don't have all of the stuff at this hospital that they need for her. Uh, and then Sam is like, "No, she needs to be stable first. Yada yada yada. Whatever." Um, they Gallant's main justification for why the better choice is to just scoop her up and and run is that county is a maximum of fifteen minutes away. Where are they that they are in this a supposedly rural community hospital that doesn't have any of the resources that they need to be able to treat this patient, and they are only 15 minutes away from downtown Chicago? Where the fuck the are east they? Side. Where the fuck are they? Because if you look at the like setting of the hospital, it doesn't look like it's even remotely close to a city, much less a city the size of Chicago. It looks like it's in the middle of a goddamn cornfield in Indiana. Like... It's it's so strange because he's like, oh, we're only 15 minutes tops away from county. And I'm like, where? Where are you? Are you in a hospital in the sky? Like, I just I don't understand how this is supposed to work. I don't know. It's just that part bugged me more than anything that I was just like, OK, guys, like you don't have to shoot everything right in Chicago. But like, why would there be this like community hospital that has like a small oxygen tank and apparently nothing else other than Tylenol. Like no peds intubation tubes. Yeah. It has nothing that they need. Do, do children not exist? It was just, it was very strange. It was very strange. Uh, yeah, but we, we will check in on, uh, the, the transport of this girl here in just a minute. Uh, we go back to check on Franny whose heart rate is back to normal. Uh, she mentions that she doesn't get to sleep much anymore between the kids and work and everything. And so Abby asks her if she ever takes anything to help her out, if she's taken any stimulants to help keep her up. And she pulls out a bag of drugs out of her purse that she says she got from another soccer mom. And I did not make the connection until just this second as I'm verbalizing this, that she's literally pulling meth out of her purse and then would go on to be on Breaking Bad. Like, that is such yep. a, like, yep. <laughs> I really want to, like, Photoshop the, the blue that's, stuff right into the bag. That's why I got the next line. It's so good. Um, Yeah. So uh, Susan then uh, we then go to check on Susan. She's still on the phone with the IRS. And uh, that's where we get the uh, the line from Abby. Is it? I uh, think so. She says soccer mom uses crystal meth. No, actually, I think it's Neela now that I think about it. 
Yeah. I don't know. But in, in or, yeah, event. she's because she's so shocked. She's like, oh, you know, I never would have thought a white um, like soccer mom, whatever, would use crystal meth. And it's like, OK, Neela, bless. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Ne- Neela is a little bit of a like deer in the headlights for a lot of this episode. Like she is just a little bit too uh, oblivious to just about precocious. Everything. Yeah. Uh, we then see the little boy from the car accident earlier get brought back in by the shitty boyfriend. More on that in a bit. And then we see Ben setting the table for dinner with Susan. All the upsetting patients this episode. Uh, the boy who didn't get a CT when he was in earlier uh, and Lauren. Whose films are those? Whose films are those? Thank you. <laughs> There may have uh, been head trauma that they didn't catch earlier, and Susan scolds Abby for not having gotten a CT earlier. Fuck and I, you, I, Luca. I will note they did get a like a baby scan, like a just mm. basic X-ray. So yeah, they portable, did get like, portable. Abby got a portable X-ray, but not the CT. This will come into play, so I want to note there was some imaging. Uh, and then Susan tells Abby about the head trauma with the little baby and uh, Abby's like oh my god it was my fault even with Luca telling her not to do the test to begin with and Susan's like it's okay we'll review together later in the shift we'll go over the file and see where we missed it it's a good teaching option great go Susan for being a teacher and understanding shit happens and trying to figure this out Uh, then from the shadow realm Gallant and Sam pull up with the girl from the transport we'll see what happens uh Oh, Ben is continuing to make dinner. He drops a pepper and is now dropping stuff everywhere. And all of a sudden we see that his hand is super bloody and he just gets really frustrated and throws everything off the kitchen island. Just done. Mm. Not great. Um, And then we go back to the trauma with the septic girl from transport. And Susan's like, why the fuck didn't you tube her? And it's like, uh, because there was nothing to tube her with. We had to get her over here. And when this is going on, uh, Frank has a call for Susan from Ben that has to be put on hold. And then, uh, we learned that Morris had a pancreatitis patient that turned out to just be menstrual cramps. (laughs) So she can go home. Yeah. Cool. Great job, Morris. A plus. Uh, Mr. Persky, the application from earlier, is back, and he pukes all over the chairs. And Lizzie, and he's like, oh, no, I feel a lot better now. And Lizzie tells him why he feels better now, that it, the that, is, that his appendix has uh, essentially exploded mm-hmm. inside of him. It's and so released gross. And a bunch of pressure. Yeah, well, almost happened to me. I know, I'm uh, so glad I told you to go to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Persky says no to anesthesia because that's what killed his mom. So, and Lucy, uh, not Lucy, Lu- <laughs> can't say it now. Ship name. Lizzie is going over uh, to kill Kovach. Yep. Got it out for Croatian Flutie this episode. There we go. Yeah, I would have. I would have liked a little bit bigger of a of a showdown between Lizzie and yeah. uh, Luca this episode. Like, I feel like they teased it several times and they, I mean, they kind of pay it off, but I just would have liked to have seen like a much bigger, like, just like, let's just fucking go, you know, but it doesn't, doesn't ever really get there. Uh, but they go back to, uh, the 12 year old, the leukemia patient. It's not doing great. It's not going well. Susan tells everybody that they need to stop compressions. They've been working on her. She's been down for 42 minutes. Uh, <laughs> 
And then here's where we get probably the first example of people really disliking Sam as a character because she very plainly, very matter-of-factly calls time of death, which is a thing nurses do not do uh, and legally I don't think can do. Like, that couldn't, that wouldn't qualify on a chart. Like, that wouldn't, you know, legally pass the smell test. Uh, so, and which I... That, to me, like, for a show that is so steeped in the medicine and is so steeped in medical accuracy, just strikes me as lazy writing. Like, right? I don't understand. Like, I don't really fault Sam the character for this. I really just fault the writing. of Like, I, and I, I know that's going to be a running bit over the next five years of me being like, you know, oh, it's just, she's innocent. But, like, in this particular instance, I really do feel like that is just lazy writing where they just had her say that line instead of, an act, uh, instead of a doctor. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, Gallant's taking this as hard as you might imagine. Uh, and Susan tells Gallant that he, uh, shouldn't blame himself, uh, but he takes it upon himself to go in and tell the parents. And not that this episode needed any more, like, depressing shit, uh, but, like, just from a growth standpoint, I would have liked to have seen Gallant have to go do that. Like, yes, it would have been a little bit of a rehash of, like, some early Carter stuff, but that's kind of what Gallant is in a lot of ways is kind of a rehash of early Carter stuff. Like it's, you know, there's a lot of similarities between those two characters early on. So like, I would have, I still would have liked to have seen how he would have handled that, you know, in person. We were, we really only see it through the window. Um, we then see Ben sitting on the couch with the phone looking very forlorn here. I like, I've, I went back and forth several times throughout the episode about whether or not they're telegraphing it. Like, Oh, they absolutely are. They are. Yeah, they absolutely, they are. absolutely are with the benefit of hindsight. But, like, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of watching this fresh for the first time in 2003 without knowing how the story ends. And, like, yeah, with the benefit of hindsight, you can go back to the very first episode and see how they're telegraphing it. But I I don't know how I take it completely fresh, whether or not I agree that it's so telegraphed here. Um I think I could almost see it because it is Bob Newhart and because it is he's such a beloved figure. I could almost see it being telegraphed on purpose. Like I could see mm-hmm. it being telegraphed and then them go then them pulling the rug out from under you at the end and going, "Oh, no, actually he didn't. We spent this whole episode making you think he was gonna and then he didn't." Uh So it was it was kind of it was I think it was that much more shocking to see them go through with it. Mm-hmm. You know. Because it, it's fucking it's Bob Newhart. Like they're not gonna they're not gonna kill Bob yeah. Newhart in the so, most upsetting of ways. So yeah, with this scene in particular, I think this is when he's going to hold the phone. Yeah. To me, it was really reminiscent of that shot you would get sometimes in like TV and movies where it's someone who's just like um, graphic content. I apologize, but for someone who's like cut their wrists. Yeah. And the way the hand falls with the way he was holding the phone, that's really what that imagery evoked for me when it was like, oh, shit, did he do it? Mm-hmm. No, he didn't. So that's that's where my mind went here. Because com- I'll tell you, right now, and we'll get into it later, I completely forgot that this was how it happened and that this actually happened. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I totally thought this was it right here. Yeah. Uh, we then see uh, Neela checking in on our stabbing victim, Jimmy. Uh, and uh, she talks to him, tells him that he could be transferred somewhere safer, maybe. Uh, and he is, we haven't really touched on this as much as we probably should have throughout the episode, but, like, he's very angry. Like, mm-hmm. he's, yeah. he's very angry, very, like, wounded animal kind of uh, behavior. Like, he just really wants to be left alone by everyone, uh, as you might imagine when you've been victimized in the way he has. Like, it's, uh, it's not great. 
a woman is screaming about an x-ray hurting her baby just a random person we've never seen and we'll never before. see again. yeah and luca gives her five of hal doll as alex watches and alex is like did you kill her and it's like no it's cool uh, I like to I like to imagine that the the source material for Alex, especially early on, is just R. Scott Gemmel's intrusive thoughts, like <laughs> <laughs> like like R. Scott Gemmel's like when he's like writing scenes and he really that immature part of his brain that really wants to be like, did you kill her? That was cool, like that stuff. They just they just personified that into this like shitty little twelve year old. They made him a whole character. Hey, but uh, Luca Luca being. The man child that he is asks if he asks if uh, Alex wants an exor of his head. Yeah, unnecessary. I mean, they, I mean, yeah, they put the they put the the, the, the thing over everything else, but, but yeah, still. the text says it's fine as long as it gets billed to the ER. Which okay, this is quite possibly one of the more egregious uh, misses I think I've ever had, but so. The tech here, I was like, I went to go look through the cast notes, and I was just like, just for shits and giggles, let's look at this guy. The tech is played by actor Stuart McLean, who's appeared in stuff like This Is Us, Euphoria, and Sons of Anarchy. He is making his uh, 11th out of 12 appearances on the show since 1998, so I'm only like five years late on this. Uh, Holy shit. Like... (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so I'm I'm cleaning up my mess. He's making his pen- mm. penultimate appearance. He will make one more appearance in the very last episode of this season. Uh, but yeah. Oh, good golly gosh! And then um, Lizzie chides Luca for what happened with Mister Persky. She's like, "My dude, you got to fucking get this together. We like we can't keep skipping this. This is I'm not going to be held liable for you being lazy and going on this crusade." It's like uh, what Pratt was saying last up ep- was the last episode where he was like, "What's the point of having this technology if we're not going right, to use it?" Right. Yep. She's like, "This isn't the Congo, my dude." Um, but then Susan is drowning in work. Pratt asks her to do the rape kit, and she's like, "No, hold on." She goes and takes it to Romano, and he's like, "She's like, I'm going to do this because you won't." And then he takes it, and he's like, "Fine, I'll do it. Whatever." Uh, and then Franny has agreed to seek counseling for the drugs. Great happy ending there. Um, and this is where Neela says, never occurred to me that a working wife and mother would be a meth user. Um, I, Any, chief. Anyone and everyone could be a drug user. You don't yeah. know what goes on in their personal life. Very true. Um, I'm not saying that like as a, like, it could be you next or anything like that. But, but just saying. It, <sighs> People from all walks of life do all kinds of mess. Hard drugs. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, and then I get this one. Great. All right. Um, I can do it if you nope, want. Nope, nope. I'm doing it. Uh, we then go back to Ben, uh, and he's writing himself, writing a little note, and we see him grab a gun, and then he takes it, takes a moment of thought, kind of like almost gives himself a resigned smile or laugh. Like, the expression on his face is very master acting from Bob Newhart. I'm going to say that right now. Mm -hmm. Like, up until the bitter end, Ben is such a strong character. Like, throughout this whole episode, yes, we're experiencing heartbreak, but also just this love for a man we met, what, two episodes ago? Mm -hmm. Three episodes Mm -hmm. ago? Yep. And it's just like, yeah, he... We go up, we see him point the gun at his head, it points down to the note he wrote and it's taped to his chest. It says, do not resuscitate. 
and then the gun goes off and there's blood and i i was surprised at how much i did not hey i didn't remember that he actually killed himself i i'm not surprised but i did not remember when we were talking about this story that this was how it ended and i also given that i did not remember how viscerally mm-hmm. they did it yeah. i did not remember that it was such an on-screen thing between this and what happens in a minute i had no i was oh that was going to be a poor choice of words i was shocked yeah i was just yeah i i was like in- really I was like, this is the episode we have to do this week, really, with everything going yeah, on? I know. But also, with that little acting bit, I mean, yeah. it's a perfect example of, like, the scary calm. Yep. That one gets yep. before they yeah. potentially before they attempt suicide. I know, because I've been there, personally. And uh, um, it's it's a it's an extremely strange feeling. I've, I've said it once, and I'll say it again on these episodes, Lizzie. I'm so glad you're still with us. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, yeah. It, it, it's, I, I yeah. remember that he died. And I think I remembered that it was by his own hand. Um, Mm -hmm. But I definitely didn't remember the circumstances, and I definitely didn't remember the the depiction. Mm -hmm. Which, the depiction is far and away the most explicit it's not I, I don't think graphic is the way i would describe it i mean it is no, it is explicit. it is it is graphic but it isn't like gory you know it right. isn't it isn't them doing it purely for shock value it's handled it's more, relatively it's more tasty. graphic when you, once he gets to the yeah ER. a little bit but even then still with that they show quite a bit of restraint like i it, think i think explicit yeah it is just the most explicit depiction of because we've had suicides on the show before but they've always been either off screen entirely or when we are dealing with them, we're dealing with them with this layer of ambiguity where we're not a hundred percent convinced that the person actually did it. You know, like I'm thinking of Gant, like they, they really, they really like pulled their punches with the Gant thing of like, well, we're not going to make it clear whether it was an accident or whether he committed suicide. Like it was a very like wishy washy way to handle it. And I think it shows the growth of the show as well that like they can go, no, this is the thing that happens sometimes and it's very sad and everything. And also too, the not that, like you said, Lauren, the, the relationship that as an audience we've built up with this character over just three short episodes that you feel this deeply invested in him after just that small amount of time. But then also too, that they really do, I think what is a purposeful job, but also a masterful job of really muddying up his motivations throughout this episode Mm -hmm. for why he eventually does what he does because i think ultimately no one knows except for the person involved and like and unless they leave like a note explicitly detailing here's the reasons why i did it those reasons are always left up to interpretation by the people that are left behind and so like you could argue at different points in this episode that he's you know distraught over his deteriorating vision he's lonely he feels abandoned by Susan. Like he feel there's all these different th- his frustration over his predicaments. Like there's all these different motivations, and there is that you know impulsive element of suicide where like so many people, like Lizzie alluded to with the calm thing. Like it's not that oh like he's been depressed and he's been despondent for so long and it just finally culminated in this event. A lot of times what experts say is that a lot of times with suicide, it is a spur of the moment type decision. Like it's a one one bad thing precipitates another. There's an opportunity and then it, it happens. And like there's a little bit of that in there, too. So like I just think this is an incredibly nuanced portrayal mm-hmm. of 
a suicidal person. And it's handled, I feel like, incredibly well, particularly, again, given the context of the time in which it's airing. Like, early 2000s is, like, peak time for sensationalism. And Mm -hmm. they treat this with relative, like, respect. And they're like, yeah, he did it, but it's, like, not... With the exception of Pratt. Pratt gets a little on my nerves by the end. Um, But, like, the depiction of it overall, as upsetting as it is, is really well done. And, like, they handle it as... And it's amazing that they managed to pack this much impact into a storyline that is three episodes long. Like, we've had single-episode characters where it's like, okay, like, you... You know, I'm thinking of, like, a Love's Labor Lost type situation. Like, you really packed a lot of stuff into a single episode. But generally speaking, if it's an arc, you need at least a minimum of, like, five or six episodes to really get a feel for a character and really get a handle on them to be able to miss them when they're gone. Not with fucking Bob Newhart, man. Three episodes from beginning to end, and you are gutted when this happens. But no, agreed on all points, and, like, I I wish we had more of him. Mm-hmm. I think they did this beautifully nuanced, but with that being said, Lizzie, what happens next? Oh, boy. More fun for everyone. Uh, Romano and Shuni are doing the rape kit on Jimmy when uh, Neela stops in and asks if she can speak to Romano, and... Shows and shows him Jimmy's blood work, and turns out uh, Jimmy, on top of everything else, has AIDS. Yep. So, but he says, he says, at least I know. But he kind of like smiles and says, at least I know it's not going to be forever now. Yep. And shakes Romano's hand too, yeah. which is doubly just. Mm. This this felt like nuance uh, in my ER. This felt like piling on. To me. A little bit. Like this this felt Yeah, this absolutely did not need this. This felt type this of felt unnecessary. Like I felt and, and, and not even just necessarily the character existing. Like I'm if they wanted to do this as a B story in the episode, that's totally fine. Just let the fact that he's a rape victim be bad enough. Like that's that's tragedy enough. I don't think we need it. This felt like an early season uh like season one or two little gotcha early 90s plot twist of like oh don't forget about the boogie the aids boogeyman like it was just very also too i don't necessarily i mean i think because i think the implication we're supposed to take away from this right or wrong i think the implication we're supposed to take away from this is that he contracted the virus via the rape that's i think the I, the implied I, thing whether that's true or I, not. it wouldn't that, be full-blown aids that's my thing it, that's it, my thing that's it, not how aids works how mm, how long was he in prison? I don't know. They didn't. They don't because, specify. Because this may not have been the first time that sure. happened. Sure. No, entirely. What I'm again, I'm going back to the the Sam thing. I think it's lazy writing. Like I think it is lazy writing where it's a gotcha moment for the sake of it. I don't understand how you can do the the Bob Newhart storyline on one end that's so tasteful, so nuanced, so well done, and then on the other side you have this sloppily written horseshit where it's like, oh, he got you know he got raped in prison once and it was sad, and then oh by the way, full blown AIDS. Like that's not that's, how AIDS that's, works. Mm, that's not how I read it. I didn't think this was the first time this had happened. And maybe that maybe it wasn't, but I just don't think they did a good enough job connecting those dots. Like I think Fair. I think those dots were really sloppily handled, but no no no. And that's kind of where we leave that storyline too, which is kind of like Yeah, that's uh, it. Right. Yeah. That's it. Okay, bye. Yeah. Hey. And I think that's when they go out in the hallway and you hear Morris's mm-hmm. like drive by line, which is really mm-hmm. we're not even gonna yeah, really yeah, shitty. Let's just keep going. Uh but uh it's early Morris. Just keep telling yourself that. It's early Morris. Yep. 
We then see Susan and Abby reviewing the baby's chart, and we uh, they they're putting the pieces together that the fracture wasn't there on the first scan, but was on the second set, uh, which means that it's time to go get the punk boyfriend. Um, holy underbaked storyline, Batman. Uh, but we don't get much time to absorb this as we go to the trauma room where Ben is brought in. Uh, Pratt with just the weird fucking self-righteous it's, line of the episode. Even though he has the DNR on his chest, it, Susan's like, don't do it. He like he clearly made his wishes known. Yeah. Pratt's like, well, suicide's against the law, so we have to bring him back. Well, what? What, dude? Like, what? It's such a... Technically, that's true. I, thank you, Lizzie, because I was about to Google it and be like, what the fuck? That just, it just seems so odd. Or if it's not true, it's definitely used in other medical shows, like... Once you once you attempt once you attempt suicide, you have no legal right because you're deemed not fit to make judgment or something. Yeah, some something like that. But in any event, Susan sees that uh, it's Ben, and this kind of brings her whole world crashing down around her, uh, and she tells Pratt to stop. Uh, we see Abby coming out with the social worker and security to talk to the boyfriend about the little boy's fracture. Uh, we then cut over to Alex and another little kid playing some delightfully 2003 uh, Super Smash Brothers Melee, presumably on the Nintendo GameCube, uh, in one of the uh, little family rooms off to the side. Uh, and as they go to leave, he asks Sam if they can invite his new friend over for Thanksgiving. Which Sam is like, yeah, sure. Then he doesn't go back and, and like talk to the kid at all. Like, <laughs> he does. He probably, n- judging by most of my like casual friend kid friendships at that age and a little bit younger, most of the time you don't even learn that other kid's name. Like, so you're gonna like run back and <laughs> catch this kid to be like, hey, do you want to come to Thanksgiving? So I thought here that he was gonna invite Luca. I thought that's what he meant by his new friend. Ah, little double meaning, you think? Because he doesn't. He doesn't say who. Doesn't. And he goes, oh, I forgot something. That's true. He doesn't say he's going to run back in and ask. I think he's talking about Luca mm. because this kid's fucking weird. Little little double meaning there. Uh, and then, yes, he does run back and get the x-ray, which he shows to Sam, of his head that a grown-ass man with a medical degree <laughs> gave an unnecessary x-ray to a fucking 12-year-old's head. And we wonder why he said But we can't give a fire. CT to a baby who was thrown across a car. Yeah, one, <laughs> we wonder why this kid is a pyro. Like, it's because he got all this unnecessary radiation straight into his brain. Uh, And then we see Franny runs into Neela in the hallway, thanks her for all the help. And then uh, Neela and Abby uh, catch up with one another. And she asks Abby if she wants to study together sometime. And a beautiful friendship was born. And you can see Susan in the background waving as she fades off into the fog behind her, where Abby and Susan's friendship goes off into a corner in the Shadow Realm to die. Because she's been replaced by Neela. <sighs> um, and we end the episode with uh, Susan sitting in the dark trauma room with Ben's body and walks out and is in a haze as everyone asks her for stuff. And turns out she left Romano's hand in the women's restroom tampon machine. And Daniel? Bye, Bob Newhart. We hardly knew you. I want to... 
I want to point out that's where the line that the episode ends on is, oh, your hand's in the women's restroom tampon machine. Go get it yourself. Like, that's where it ends after everything that just happened. Yeah. But she delivers it really well. She does. It's like, really great. But it, it's a, it is a really good performance by Sherry Stringfield in the whole episode, but but especially here. And it, like I, I think I said last episode or maybe the one before, they don't give Susan, in either iteration of the character, they don't give Susan very many chances to drive an episode. You know, they don't they were always sort of relegated her to a second tier main cast member where she was always kind of in charge of the B story or she was informing the A story as a secondary part of it. It's rare that they gave her a chance to, like, sit front and center and drive the fucking thing. And this is a great example of it. And the only critique I have of it is that I wish it mattered more to her story, like to her overall character you know backstory and her arc like it just like she's sad about it but like it doesn't really like matter that much to her there can be so many places they go with this if they choose to i'm not gonna say if they do or not because i don't fucking remember right now but like i'm i'm hoping to see an impact over the next few episodes i'm gonna say right now i probably won't yeah don't spoil that for me, kids, but I'm just like, well, they're, I have ideas where I want this to they're go. They're kind of reticent to do that with, I've noticed anyway, they're kind of reticent to do that with guest characters who aren't part of the family of a character, you know? Like, mm-hmm. they're not, like, I th- I'm thinking of, like, Carrie and Alan Alda, you know? Like, there's an obvious impact with that story on Carrie, do they reference it hardly ever? No, because that would be reminding the audience that Alan Alda used to be here and he's not here anymore. Well, I'm and not we even. Him back. Yeah. I'm not even talking about so much that way. Like, no, I know, but there's like, other ways they could. Yeah, but there, there's just there is a hesitancy on the part of the writers to ever reference any sort of guest arc that might have had a significant impact on a character's story. Unless they're related to them. Like, Abby gets to reference Maggie all the time because Maggie shows up all the time. Like, you know, there's, uh, uh, you're, you're able to pull from those stories and talk about those things when there's a blood relation or a connection from a, a family standpoint. You know, Donald Logue gets to come and play, you know, with, uh, with Susan. Like, there gets to be references to that. But something like Bob Newhart's character, that's just going to get lost in the shuffle because it's a it was a big name guest star who came in for a handful of episodes and we don't want to sit there and be like hey remember when bob newhart was here wasn't that fun he's not coming back but man remember when like they're just not going to do that and so that's the only thing that i think sucks about this is that it doesn't get a chance to really inform anything going forward for her story because it is such a big name that they're like well we can't talk about that ever again so you know but I was even I was even just thinking something on a smaller scale, like in the next few episodes, like he leaves a part of his library to her or something like that. Sure. Just like an emotional beat to give it time to breathe. Sure. And then she has that piece of it going forward. Even if we're not constantly reminded, there's at least this, you know, lasting legacy left in paper right. or something like just like she adopts the dog like you know like oh that's right no but i'm no i'm saying like oh like, okay. that would be a, that could be something that would be yeah. a thing like you know hey remember that one dog that mark green had that he that he promptly forgot about and like yep yeah vanished into the shadow realm but i would say uh probably eight eight point five out of ten like yeah it's a really fucking bummer episode but i was here for it it's too much of a bummer for me to give it more than a seven I, I have to give it based on performance. If I'm giving mm-hmm. it based on like, oh God, I can't watch it again anytime soon. It's a seven, but like sheer performance alone and knowing what's coming next episode. Like mm-hmm. 
I have to give acknowledgement for how hard Paul McCrane goes in his last episode. Yeah. Spoilers, guys. Sorry. Retrospective. But um, knowing what we know about next episode, like... Romano fucking just goes this whole episode. Yeah, and he doesn't have to, but he no, does. No, he, yeah, he's very much like they're getting they're getting their shit in before the end, and the Bob Newhart storyline and 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 Susan, you know, like they that tandem carries this episode for sure. And is it a bummer? Absolutely. Yep. Um, but it can be a really well done bummer, I guess. Like <laughs> you know, like it's and but I will say though. There's a lot of fluff in this episode. Like there is, there's a lot of okay, shit fine, in this episode that really needs to just take right. take another pass at or just drop entirely and focus on other things. Um, like All I right, said, the, I'm relegating down to an eight. Just the the prisoner storyline, especially. Like I felt like, you know, did we need to really add the the That's the gotcha? A big reason why I'm have it all the way down at seven. Yeah. It's seven point like, five. Did we really need? To do all of this in one episode, like Guys. you could have, you could have had the same poignant Romano go hard with a, like with a patient, mm-hmm. uh, for his on his last episode, right. whatever. But you could have had yeah. like as part of like a trauma instead of well, because I think what they're trying to do is I think they're trying to have a little bit of their like Mark Green's last day at work thing, like where he kind of comes full circle and ends up doing the rape exam and and, and ends up which is kind of a clumsy 2003 point to make, but like gains some sort of like weird machismo respect for this male rape victim. Like, cause they have that like awkward handshake and stuff. It's like, it's a very clumsily made point. And I see what you're trying to do, but I just do it better is my point. Like do, do it differently and do it better because like there is something to be mined from Romano getting like making making amends with the audience maybe I guess is what I'm getting at like he needs to have that sort of like almost heroic moment and almost like oh man he might be turning the corner and he might reveal so that next episode really hits that much harder like you need that moment of redemption for him that I think they're trying to give him but they're doing it in a really ham-fisted shitty kind of way and it's it falls flat, and he's he like it's not Paul McCrane's fault. He's so on fire for the rest of the episode that it's just they gave him this really like lackluster, flat last big patient to handle before the events of next episode. So yeah, mixed bag. Like it's really it's carried entirely by the the Bob Newhart Susan stuff. If it wasn't for that, this would be a honestly kind of a clunker of an episode. If it wasn't for them. And you guys reminded me why I go last on those, because you all talked me down to a 7.5. So good job, everybody. Uh, You're welcome, America. What do the listeners have to say about it, Lauren? uh, First off, we have at Hapinski says, starting from Dear Abby, this has been a really great stretch of very mundane and balanced ER episodes this far, and I don't know if it's because most of it is without Carter. They have a really good ensemble that bounces off each other, and the writing feels reminiscent of the early seasons. I will say it again, I'm a big fan of the med student trio, but now that I've been rewatching this season, I'm starting to see the attending team as well. And then we have the residents in between, and it all makes up for a very interesting workplace ecosystem and dynamic. Since Secrets and Lies, we've had the series' first real female friendship in Abby and Susan, but it has been pushed to the background for a while now. Fortunately, they are laying the foundation for the next and arguably deeper female friendship in Abby and Neela, and I'm here for it. 
Those two with Pratt and Morris are two cent- are the two central friendships that carry the rest of the series for me. Uh, I will, to echo what, sh- what they just said, I will uh, again raise the point, do we really need Carter anymore? <laughs> like, no. This show is not suffering without him. So it's like I'm really like mourning what's to come when he, you know, butts it back in here in about two or three weeks. Like we this is proof positive that like that character had very much run its course and you don't need him anymore. Yep. Uh, at username 11 says this is a low key, terrific one. Lewis is the epicenter here and it's maybe her best end to end episode since full moon Saturday night. She gets a ton of zingers, mostly directed towards Romano, has some good teaching moments, and we get the conclusion of the Hollander storyline. It's a sad, if not inevitable, end, but the moment where Lewis realizes who they are working on and the trauma is well played. And I love her trying to leave for the day in a haze of her own despondence as the staff continues to pull her in about eight different directions. In regards to Luca and his continuing crusade against unnecessary tests, I wonder if it's a forest through the trees thing. Yes, imaging drains resources, but sur- surly, surely, surely, open appendectomies requiring complicated surgeries and lengthy hospital stays and recovery times drain even more resources, and that could have been avoided if the appendicitis was caught before the guy perforated. I was living for Corday's attitude towards Luca here. Remember when Corday got to do stuff? I miss that. And I'm sorry, but while Alex running around the hospital is on Sam, Luca should still be respecting the boundaries that Sam is trying to set. I understand Luca's character's motivations, but with perspective, it's a little weird and totally undermines her. And lastly, Romano. The countdown continues. I have so many conflicting feelings about him, but Paul McCrane is so, so good, and it's hard to hate him. For me, this is the best episode of the season so far, and things will only get even better. And last but certainly not least, we have at the full-time dad. We sometimes forget just how good the opening of season 10 is in a depressing fuck-this-world-sucks kind of way. Death and Taxes gives us one last glimpse of of the Romano that we all clamor for, the one that, despite the veneer of homophobia and misogyny, see playing grab-ass, has the capacity for sympathy. His story with Pedro, his character in Napoleon Dynamite, not not me being racist, showcased that to a certain degree. Can I add that uh, that Pedro was also really impressive playing the convict? The last scene between the two of them, Romano's piercing yet somber eyes as he delivers the grim news, and the convict's almost relieved response of, at least I know it's not going to be forever, was heartbreaking. Such a great scene. Then there's the end of the new heart arc, which just feels like the writers finally got the suicide they didn't get with Dr. Lawrence, and we didn't want. Watching the last bit of hope extinguished from Ben Hollander, first knowing he can't paint the figurines, then realizing he can no longer cook, then finally the ultimate blow, knowing he's been stood up, was a lot to watch unfold. And this gave us one of Susan's strongest scenes as she realized Hollander went through with it and walked out of the ER, soul-crushed, relationship going nowhere, and possibly a tax cheat. Damn. Susan was the star of the episode, though, from the open with Chuck to her handling of Skylar White's sister, the great chemistry with her and Abby, to the sad conclusion, she nails everything here. And we get the start of the Abby Neela ship, something I've been looking forward to since the start of the season. The only story that just felt like a like a widow was Gallant and Sam's sepsis patient. 
the, the episode was so packed and it just feels like an excuse to remind us that there are in fact still two black docs on the show but all in all i love how the show the show head fakes us with the idea that romano's going to turn the corner susan's life is going down the drain pratt's on thin ice and the nice slip-in that becomes uber important next episode that morris is a friggin weed head only to flip it flip all of it in a week i'm so ready for freefall aren't we all no i'm not i don't i don't want next week <laughs> i don't mm. I, ready I do. ready to criticize uh, some 20 year old cgi uh ready to talk about the thing that we've been talking about talking about for four years <laughs> and just make infinite memes of romano's face uh that's about gonna wrap up our episode for today though well thank y'all very much for listening appreciate it uh, the show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast, where for only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and over 75 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a freeform monthly bonus show called The Lounge, movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and character retrospectives where we reflect on departed main cast members. Look out for Romanos, coming soon. <laughs> We'd also appreciate it if you would follow, follow us on our social media accounts. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, and we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Sayantone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel Work. Folks, find you at... They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u.e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on Instagram at Lobo92345, where it is an amalgamation of climbing videos, dumb memes, uh, wedding photos, and card games. Everyone loves card games. Uh, thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week. Bye.